You're listening to Zeigler Group's Legal Zeitgeist podcast, the funds law podcast series that helps asset management firms reevaluate and revolutionize their current approach to investment funds law with the latest technology, legal and regulatory compliance insights, and best practices. Hi, I'm Kunal Grover, Head of Business Development at Zeibler Group, and today I'm joined by my colleagues Elisa Foretta-Feldberg, Head of ESG, and Jaspinka Markovic, uh, Senior Associate at the Zeibler Group. On today's episode, we will be discussing ESG. Jaspinka, I know you've done quite a bit of work with clients on SFDR Level 1. Do you want to maybe tell us a bit more about SFDR, you know, what's happened so far, and how does SFDR fit into this bigger conversation of ESG? Thanks, Kunal. It's the disclosure, so-called disclosure regulation. So um, it requires you to add certain disclosures in relation to ESG matters in the regulatory um, documents, the websites, and the periodic reports. It applies to financial market participants, or FMPs, and financial advisors, or FAs, which are another two acronyms. The first deadline when the majority of its provision came into force and you had to comply with them uh, was the 10th of March this year. We worked with our clients to add uh, certain disclosures in relation to sustainability uh, and also in uh, relation to integration of sustainability risks into their fund documents and on their websites. Pursuant to SFDR, there are three uh, categories of products. Those are Article 6, Article 8, and Article 9 products. And then depending on the category of your product, uh, you you need to provide certain disclosures. What is a little bit tricky with SFDR is that it's coming in pieces. So also the RTS for SFDR have been amended by the RTS of taxonomy regulation. So this all makes it a little bit difficult to implement. Then in addition to that, we've heard from our clients that there's not sufficient data on the market. However, there are different views on that topic. So um, we also hear that there is enough data. However, you need to know how to make sense of it. So yeah, those are kind of the main issues. There's also PAIs have proven to be quite challenging. And uh, we know that the RTS themselves have been changed quite heavily in relation to them. They're kind of the main challenges we, we've seen so far. Thank you so much, Swink. I think it's fair to say that SFDR will be part of the conversation for the next few months. Just looking ahead slightly, and uh, I tend to just you know focus on 12 to 18 months when I'm looking at the you know regulatory timelines. Personally, what's coming down the regulatory pipeline over that period? Let's say 12 to 18 months in relation to ESG. What are the key things people should be thinking about, watching out for? Yes. Well, the first looming deadline really is the 30th of June 2021, that being a deadline that is only applicable to financial market participants that are that have more than 500 uh, employees. Uh, they will have to issue PAI, a principal adverse impact statement, to what extent they comply with it if they do, and they will have to make that available on the website. Uh, that's the first, I think, regulatory and compliance deadline. Then the other deadline will be the 1st of January 2022, where they will be required to start providing the pre-contractual disclosures in a specific template that's been provided in the technical details, in technical regulations, and then they will need to start prepared to report 
against what they've disclosed in 2021. But before that, from a, from a legislative perspective, there are other deadlines. There are other things that we're waiting for. And uh, as we mentioned them uh, slightly earlier, the RTS, so the technical details, uh, we're waiting uh, for those to be adopted by the European Commission and published in the official journal. And we've been told that this should happen in the summer. Um, we are obviously hoping for June to give enough time to financial market participants to prepare for the 1st of January. And then the taxonomy relation is actually being enhanced by RTS referring to the templates and referring to the um, what is required in terms of disclosures, but also very specific technical details in relation to the two of its objectives. The first two, namely climate change adaptation and climate change um, mitigation. Those are expected. Uh, so the Climate Delegated Act was published. Uh, hopefully it will be final by the end of this year. In the course of 2022, uh, we're expecting to see further uh, Delegated Act in relation to the remaining four objectives of the RTS, of the taxonomy, and and hopefully get an idea as well as to the S uh, so the social uh, part of the of the ESG, we're hoping to get technical details as well on those in 2022. Well, Alisa, thank you so much. There's a lot coming down the line, a lot of important dates and milestones to be aware of. Maybe I should have shortened the time frame that we were discussing here, but, uh, but that's good to know. One thing that I always am aware of, uh, you know, when I'm looking at EU legislation, new laws coming in, is the potential for gold plating or, you know, for there to be, you know, additional local requirements. This week, I believe that there's, we're not escaping gold plating completely. It seems that there are some local additional requirements that asset managers should be aware of. Do you want to maybe touch upon that a little bit? Yeah, Knall, so that's correct. The one that we've received most queries on is certainly the AMF position or so-called AMF doctrine. Um, so AMF has kind of taken a step further and they have prescribed a detailed criteria uh, for funds, namely usage, to, to categorize them in the three main categories. So those are the significantly engaging funds, the non-significantly engaging funds, and then funds that do not promote ESG criteria at all. Um, what's important to note here is that AMF always requires that criteria to be measurable. So they require you to either exclude a certain exact certain percentage of the investment universe or the ESG rating of the product must be higher than, again, exact percentage of the investment universe or comparable products and so on. One of the main challenges here has been especially for the uses that are not domiciled in France. And so, as you know, if you have a prospectus that has been approved by your home state regulator and you passport it to France, you can use it and AMF cannot review it. However, AMF can determine the content of the marketing materials in France. So if you have a product and it does not comply with AMF's expectations, uh, the AMF would then require you to add a very prominent disclaimer stating that your product does not comply with the ESG criteria uh, prescribed by the AMF. Legally, you also do not have to provide marketing materials if you do not want. However, there's a big question then from a distribution perspective whether the French investors would actually 
buy the products that they know doesn't comply with the AMF's views or expectations. So that's kind of the main issue that we've come across. I know, Elisa, do you want to talk about some industry initiatives? Uh, yes, absolutely. So uh, actually, for Germany, we have potentially a gold plating as well. There has been a Baffin statement uh, saying that actually they would expect a minimum percentage of investment to be 90% for a product to be defined as sustainable. Uh, but there's also an additional initiative at the industry level with the German associations of funds and banks and distributors that are looking at setting out some base minimum requirements for funds that are to be distributed in Germany to be identified as as ESG funds. And they constitute, uh, at the moment, it's still in draft, I must say, but at the moment it constitutes um, a base set of exclusions and then some minimum compliance criteria with uh, minimal standards and um, certainly in case of engagement activities, having an engagement policy in place that reflects uh, those standards as well. So that will mean that uh, if a fund is to be marketed in Germany as a sustainable fund or as an ESG fund, it will need to comply. Uh, once this concept obviously is finalized, it will need to comply with those uh, specific criteria. And if it doesn't, then there's a question there whether um, obviously the same distribution point that uh, Yasminka raised will be will apply for Germany too. Thanks, Yasminka and Lisa. I mean, I wasn't even aware of the additional requirements in Germany. And I guess, um, you know, as much as we like to say the rules in the EU are harmonized, these are things, these corporating requirements are things that you're going to have to live with. But it certainly doesn't make life easy for asset managers trying to navigate this space. So. Yeah, I think uh, some added complexity there. Maybe to round it up, if I can ask you, I mean, given what we just said, there's obviously lots coming down the line. There's these gold plating requirements to deal with. What would be your advice to asset managers that are starting off with their ESG journey or just started or even in the middle and advanced stages of, you know, their ESG implementation? What would you advise them to do? Uh, What are things that they should consider or keep in mind while doing this? I would certainly say from my perspective to have in place a very defined ESG strategy internally and externally to ensure that the communication is aligned uh, to make sure that they have the resources in place because further down the line in 2022, we're going to have sectoral legislation applying uh, for MIFID entities, per usage management company and for ACE uh, managers. They will need to have sufficient resources and experience, and uh, this means also having ESG expertise in-house at all level of the investment process, uh, whether it's the investment research in the portfolio construction team, but also in the governance bodies of the relevant entities. As, as um, Yasminka further, um, earlier alluded to, there is an issue with data. Uh, something that there isn't enough data, something we actually need to make sense of the data, we need to manage it. So there's a need for expertise as well there from an analytical perspective to process that data and make sure that it is meaningful. My piece of advice would be to do the due diligence, do the work if the, if obviously the asset manager is willing to subject itself to the enhanced disclosure requirements of SFDR, but more so of the taxonomy, that they will need to have really strong processes and policies in place to manage that and to understand the ESG data. So I would say invest in those resources.
Does make anything from your side? Um, no, not really. I think Elisa really summarized it very well. I think the most important thing is to have systems and workforce because like the 10th of March was kind of the first deadline where everyone was rushing to comply, but that's kind of the beginning of the rabbit hole. So you need to have resources and systems in place who can kind of push you through it and get you to see the light at the end of that tunnel. I couldn't agree more, but uh, thank you so much, uh, Lisa Tisminka, for that. Um, I think yeah, just to really uh, summarize this, I think we're all in agreement that ESG is a hot topic for a reason. For me personally, my view is this is one of the most fundamental changes the industry has seen so far, and uh, it's certainly going to be something that uh, is going to become more of the norm rather than the exception as part of how, how the industry operates essentially. So really, really excited to see how this evolves over the coming years. And I just like to thank you both for really summarizing uh, everything that is a bit ESG that we should be aware of, that uh, people should be thinking about and making plans for. So thank you for that and uh, take care and stay safe. Thank you. You reached the end of another episode of the Legal Zeitgeist podcast. Connect with us at zeidler.group to subscribe. Thank you for listening. The Legal Zeitgeist podcast is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute legal advice. Professional legal advice should be obtained before taking or refraining from any action as a result of the contents of this podcast. All rights reserved.